This is The Guardian. Today, why are thousands of Ukrainian children going missing? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since the invasion in February last year, entire regions of Ukraine have fallen under the control of the Russian forces. Missiles are raining down on cities. Whole villages have been razed to the ground. And amid this chaos, tens of thousands of children are going missing. Children whose parents have been killed in the conflict or have become separated from their families. Some are from orphanages. Some have been manipulated into leaving their families. All of them are being taken to Russia. Moscow denies abducting Ukraine's children. The Russian authorities say that these children are being rescued and moved for their own safety. But there is mounting evidence of Russia taking vulnerable Ukrainian children. The state has been accused of forced adoption and a mass programme of re-education. It's led to the International Criminal Court issuing an arrest warrant for President Putin. The ICC alleges that he is responsible for a war crime. The International Criminal Court's decision to issue an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin today marks the first time in history that the ICC has indicted a head of a state from a permanent member of the UN Security Council. It's the most dramatic step taken to try and hold Russia... But for families who are desperate to get their children back, this is an emergency. They can't wait around for an international response. So they're taking matters into their own hands, risking their lives to save their children before they completely disappear. These mothers, they don't do anything like illegal. They just go to bring back their children. That's all. That's what we tell them every time, that it's your right. It's your right to go and to bring back her child home. From The Guardian, I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, tracking down the children abducted from Ukraine. Olga Yarikina, you work for the organisation Save Ukraine, which is helping to track down Ukrainian children taken to Russia and then reuniting them with their families. Can you tell me when you first heard that Ukrainian children were being taken by Russian forces? 
We started uh, to collect such an information uh, last summer, and we began to receive um, some calls from the parents, from the relatives of uh, such children. And we were doing mostly evacuation of uh, families from military zones. Mm. And then uh, we had to change our focus a little bit and to help these people to return their children. Eventually, we just got shocked because at the beginning, we didn't realize the scale of what was happening. But uh, the more and more um, mothers called us and asked for help. And then we realized that we had to do something about it. Since the full-scale invasion, how is it that children have been taken by Russian forces? Have they been abducted from the streets or snatched from their families? How is it happening? Uh, No, you know, it's not like that. It's not like uh, Russians came and just um, took the child from the mother or something. It's all always about manipulation. It's always about fear and threat. For for instance, when the Kherson region was occupied or Kharkiv region was occupied, uh, they came to your house with uh, some collaborators. One girl, she told that she's 15 years old. She wanted to, to leave um, for a while with her grandma and uh, mm-hmm. two women who were collaborators. And uh, two Russian soldiers with weapon uh, came to the grandma's house and um, they pressured on this grandma in order she agreed to send uh, this girl to the camp, to Crimea, like under guise of rehabilitation. And um, this grandma, she was so afraid, she was so scared that she said yes. A new report out this week captures the scale of Russia's system of supervising Ukrainian children uprooted during this war. The conflict observatory found more than 6,000 children in Russian custody, spread out between at least 43 facilities, and the report found that the primary purpose of these camps is, quote, re-education. Children told us a lot of stories, like um, you must um, get up every morning, and it seems um, not so bad. But before every lesson, you must sing a Russian anthem. And if you don't want to sing it, you must write like an explanational paper. Why don't you want to sing this anthem? Then they were taught Russian language, Russian literature, history. And they were told that you are Nazis. You are here eating our food and drinking our water. You must be grateful. Because Ukraine doesn't need you, your parents don't need you, so be grateful and be quiet. Peter Beaumont, you're a senior reporter at The Guardian and you've been reporting this story from Ukraine. We've just heard how children are being held in these awful re-education camps as part of an effort to wipe out their Ukrainian identity. And part of this later means placing them within Russian families. How does it work? Some are sent out for fostering. I was told about one family that they were essentially sort of poor with a history of alcoholism. They'd basically taken the child on because they get money from the state for looking after the child. Ended up in very grim circumstances. There clearly is abuse that happens. And they've been sent all over Russia. I mean, a lot of these children have been fostered, have been fostered 
all over an absolutely gigantic country. And so the connections are being severed. Ultimately, this is kind of a, a state-sanctioned program. What is the motivation here on part of the Russian government to take these children away from their families and their homes? I mean, the motivation, I mean, this is perhaps the most sinister part of it, is the hostility towards sort of Ukrainian society and Ukrainian culture. You know, beyond the purely human aspect of, of taking children away from their families to be fostered with strangers, is the notion that these children are being transformed from Ukrainian into Russian citizens, and that is part of the purpose of this. It's the same thing that's been going on in schools under occupation. The occupation-run schools start teaching a Russian curriculum. They'll, they'll teach Russian. So in that sense, it's, it's a continuation of, of the educational policies that have been going on in the occupied areas anyway. So it's no different to that, except it's taking place on Russian soil. You know, there is a suggestion, certainly with older male teens, the, some of the boys who are 17, for instance, that there might be a route into the armed services for them or something like that after that process. And so... So taken know, from Ukraine to ultimately end up fighting in yes, the Russian I mean, military against Ukraine. I, I, that, I mean, it's not something I've been able to verify, but I mean, that's a suggestion that's been made is that, you know, they become Russian citizens and then they, of course, become, you know, eligible for whatever mobilization comes in the future. In Russia itself, when Ukraine is presented as the enemy and Ukrainian children are being taken in, how does the Russian state convince its own citizens that they should adopt or foster or what they're even doing with these children? I mean, it, some of these children have been used in these big organised propaganda events. There's a big rally where some of the children who were taken from Mariupol were put up on stage with a soldier. Vladimir Putin celebrating his army. The special guests this year, children bust in from Ukraine's occupied territories. Thank you, Uncle Yura, for saving me, my sister, and hundreds of thousands of children in Mariupol. Anya, don't be shy. Go hug Uncle Yuri. Everyone give a hug. Look, it's the man who saved you all. It's being represented in the sense that the, the the Russians are the good guys somehow, you know, rescuing these children from difficult situation, you know, there's been fighting, they may have lost family members, it's taken them away from the nasty Ukrainians. But I mean, the reality is they're committing a war crime, they're taking children away from their country, the possibility of social connections, family connections. And that is the reason the, the ICC is investigating Russia at the moment, because this is ultimately forced deportation. Peter, you've met a mother and daughter, Svetlana Popova and her 15-year-old Elena, who have been a key part of your reporting on this story. Can you start by telling me a bit about them and their life together before the war? So they lived down and south around Kherson city, which was 
the one big city that the Russians captured early in the war and it fell pretty much without a fight. So it was under occupation for a long time, but there wasn't a tremendous amount of violence there. You, you know, the occupation was normalised, if you want to call it that way. And what happened is that Alina, the 15-year-old daughter, was friends with a, another family whose mother was known as Evgenia. While she was visiting this other family's house of, of her friend, this woman who was pro-Russian, scared her, particularly as the Ukrainian counteroffensive was approaching, saying, well, that when the Ukrainians came, that they would torture and kill people who'd been associated with the Russians in any way. And they're going to hurt you. Her mother said, look, don't believe Evgenia. I mean, she's lying to you. This is not the way it's going to be. But, you know, she was a 15-year-old girl and she was frightened. And it seems as though the account that she was given was designed to, to scare her. And so this came to a head last November when the Ukrainian forces were just outside her son, um, when, when Evgenia persuaded Alina that they should all flee, they should run away because they would be harmed. And so she was taken to Russia. And once she got to Russia, Evgenia's behaviour became abusive. What do we know about Evgenia, the woman who lured Elena to go with her to Russia? What were her motivations? Well, she was a mother of several children. And even though she presented as being someone who had Elena's uh, best interests at heart, it, it became clear that her main motivation was um, financial. If she was caring for an extra child, she would get extra money from the Russian state. Uh, it appears she was hoping to get a bigger apartment. So in that sense, uh, what she presented as being a kindness was actually extremely mercenary. And that became clear to Alina, especially when she got to Russia. It's such a bizarre and terrifying situation to imagine. How did Svetlana find out where Alina had been taken to? She tracked it down on social media. They were able to follow where they'd ended up. And she's looking at her daughter being in a country that her country is at war with. But she's also aware that other parents have successfully gone to Russia and come back with their children. So from here, she's introduced to the Save Ukraine Rescue Network, which helps parents get children back. And she starts planning how she can go to Russia to get her daughter back. Olga, you've been working with Save Ukraine to reunite families. Can you tell me how difficult that work is? It's a very long and hard trip to make all this route through Poland, through Belarus, uh, Russia, and um, sometimes Crimea or other occupied territories or other regions in Russia. So, for instance, there was a grandma who was only 65 years old and she was hiding to take back her granddaughter and she died. She died on Russia's territory after, after all these days, after all these interrogations. So this grandma um, couldn't make it. So um, this isn't the thing that everybody can do. 
these women, they I, I asked them before they they leave, we gathered them in Kiev and I asked them, uh, don't be nervous, don't be afraid. We will prepare everything. We will provide you with everything. But um, I saw the look on their face. They are afraid, but they tell me, we want to see our children. We want to take them back. So we will be strong. Olga, how many people do you work with at Save Ukraine on these rescue missions? And what skills and experience do they need? We, we have uh, like over 40 uh, people in our team here in Kyiv. And we have 12 teams of volunteers. We have psychologists, we have art therapists, we have drivers, lawyers, managers, we do like, you know, um, this complex work with the families because we provide all help they need, like financial, psychological, social, make their papers, um, provide them uh, hotel, food, everything. Peter, with the help of Save Ukraine, Svetlana actually travelled for hundreds of miles through Poland, Belarus, and then into Russia to get Alina back. And I guess it must have been really dangerous. What did she tell you about that journey? I mean, she said it was terrifying. I mean, both the mothers I spoke to who did this journey, neither of them had done, you know, any foreign travel before. You're going to somewhere, a country that is invading your country. You know, they they end up in the location. They have the paperwork that prove that they are the parents and or guardians of these children. And so they arrive. And then, then the next thing is that they go to social services, the Russian social services, and say, this person has got my child. And in Svetlana's case, she, she was fortunate. She met officials in Russia who were sympathetic. She's, as she said to me, it sounds crazy, but some of these people actually do have the children's interests at heart. And so she was fortunate in the fact that she had the paperwork, she was able to prove that she was the mother. And as she said to me, you know, they called up Evgenia and they were shouting at her and said, why have you taken this woman's child? Alina had been moved away to another location with the aim of getting her her Russian paperwork. And as she was told by the Russian officials, you're really, really lucky. If you'd come four days later, she would have had her Russian paperwork and there's nothing we could have done about oh, it. Oh, wow. She got there just in time. And, and that seems to be the situation, is that the longer that the children are there, you know, the harder it is and will be for people to get the children back because they just then become absorbed by the Russian state systems. And what did Alina have to say about the whole experience, you know, about how she had fallen for what Evgenia had told her and how is she doing now? She just said she'd been tricked. You know, she was one of her friend's mothers. She thought this woman cared about her. She had a connection with her. She thought, you know, she felt that it was, it was something cruel. I mean, my impression is that they're, they're doing okay. They're together and they're not in the position that lots of other families are in. Olga, Save Ukraine has now helped bring back 118 children to be with their families. Save Ukraine spent many months planning this moment. Reuniting families shattered by war, returning children who just wanted to go home to Ukraine. 
Can you tell me what that moment's like for you when you see them being reunited? This is the moment when you realize why are you doing this? This is, you know, like the moment of satisfying joy, happiness and at the same time, because you see that you're doing something very valuable, very important. And these emotions of the families, they are like uh, pure and uh, there is nothing above it. Like to see how, how these mothers and their children reunite after months and months of separation. And what about the children? What have they told you what they've been through once you get them back? You know, these children, they when they come back, they are very close and they, they just don't want to talk much about it. But all of them, all of them, from my experience, uh, came back like more matured, more independent. They had to grow up quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, mostly I'm talking about teenagers because little children, they mostly they thought that it was just a journey. It was just a, just some trip. I guess teenagers, they uh, understand, yeah, they understand more and feel deeper what was going on with them. Olga, you've told us some heart-wrenching stories of families trying to get reunited and being reunited with children with the help from Save Ukraine. But what about the children who are taken, say, from orphanages or from boarding schools who don't have family looking for them? What happens to them? It's a good question because as for the orphans who was who are taken from orphanages, uh, Russians keep them like very, very like in a secret, you know, and I guess that the state, the Ukraine, should um, apply to international community and should apply to ask to create some group, some mediator group. How can we return these children? Because there are no diplomatic relations between our countries, so we don't even know where uh, Russian took them. Coming up, will Ukrainian parents ever see justice? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. 
Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Peter, how has the ICC concluded that this Russian abduction of Ukrainian children is a war crime? It's absolutely a war crime. I mean, the forced deportation of citizens in conflict or outside of conflict is a crime, and it's a, it's a very serious crime. You know, of all the things that Putin and the Russians have done, including heavy bombardment of civilian areas, sort of allegations of rape, all the war crimes, this is the one they're under investigation for. Uh, and I think there is an awareness that this is an urgent issue that needs to be dealt with now. The International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin in relation to what they call the forced deportation of children from Ukraine. Russia doesn't recognise the ICC, and it's highly unlikely that Putin will actually be arrested. So what exactly is the point of issuing the warrant? I mean, one of the things about the way the these warrants and these investigations work is that even if there isn't an immediate prospect of an arrest or or prosecution, it looks to the future. I mean, it sends a message to officials who might be involved in prosecuting this war crime or other war crimes that there will be accountability in the post-war period or will be efforts towards accountability. And it also delivers the message that the reach of justice can actually take place over a prolonged period. I mean, one of the examples of this would be the Serbian leader, Slobodan Milosevic. And, you know, just because Putin is secure in his power now doesn't mean that sometime in the future he might not be accessible to arrest and prosecution. And that is the message. And it's not just a message for Putin. It's a message for Russia in the future. There are individuals being sought for war crimes. Olga, why is Russia targeting Ukrainian children in this way? Because it's a war and it's a part of um, genocide politics. Nothing, nothing's new. You, you don't need to kill children. You just, you can just brainwash them and uh, make them think that Russia is a great empire and Ukraine, uh, it's not a real state and Ukrainian language is not a language and you're the part of our great country and so on, so on, so on. And if you are day by day, you are in this atmosphere, this uh, whole thing with this propaganda, some children, they start to believe in that. And the, the goal is to make them just Russian children. What one thing would help save Ukraine's work the most? What is it that you would hope listeners to understand? Uh, I, I guess uh, the main thing that world should know that 
everything that Russians say that they evacuate people or help people or help children, it's a big lie and that a big plan stands behind this big lie. And uh, there is nothing except um, the desire to destroy Ukraine, to destroy Ukrainian identity and um, to destroy Ukrainians as a nation included through our Ukrainian children. Olga, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Olga Yerikina from Save Ukraine and Peter Beaumont, a senior reporter for The Guardian and The Observer. My thanks to both of them. Yesterday, Kyiv launched a major attack on Moscow, targeting the capital's wealthiest areas, in its first drone and missile strike on Russian soil since the war began. To read about that and catch up with the very latest developments on this story and more from our correspondents in Ukraine, do head to theguardian.com. And that's it for today. I'm Roshin Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Eli Block. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers were Elizabeth Cassin and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.